Your reality is spiritual. His truth is His truth. And if we can align with God's reality, we will finally be living by reality. So um, last week we talked about the Lord's table in 1 Corinthians 11, right? And um, this week as I was praying, so what are we going to do now, Lord? Um, I just felt like he was telling me I'm not finished with my thought yet. So we're going to go back. We're going to be back in Corinthians 11. Um, It's going to take me a little while to get there, so don't turn there. If you want to start turning, start going to Matthew 13. Um, We're just going to take, I believe the Lord wants to take what we did last week, but make it intensely personal, okay? So um, put your seatbelt on. Um, I think we're, we're going to have some conviction this morning. You know, conviction is the most loving thing, or at le- least let's say one of the most, one of the most loving things that he does for us. Why? Because he's so crazy in love with you that he wants to bring you into the glory that he has planned for you. Conviction is such an important part of that process. Do you know that? And I figure we're going to start in Matthew 13 because I generally figure that if, um, it, if I teach something, even if it's true, even if it's, even if it's right or entertaining or powerfully true, but it doesn't lead you into a deeper intimacy with Jesus that you can actually walk in, then it's probably off course, right? So we're starting in Matthew 13. We're going to read of Jesus here, um, verse 53. And it's just a tidbit of Jesus' life, okay? And it starts here in 53 and says, Now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished these parables, so he's been out teaching, that he departed from there. When he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Now let me just point out, I want you to notice this, he's returned back home, okay? He's returned back home. He's been out and about. He's returned back home. And they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom in these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is, is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. And listen to this. It says, Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Isn't that crazy? He goes back home, and then and this is what we see. Okay? Now, did you catch it? What was the source of their unbelief? What did you say? They knew him. They knew him too well. Familiarity (laughs) was actually the problem. You hear that? They, in fact, they knew him. They knew him too well. They knew. They knew so much about him that they didn't know the most important thing to know about him, (laughs) which was what the anointing. The anointing for the ministry that was upon him to bring the kingdom upon them. When he was in, in their midst and, and when, when the power of, of, of the courts of heaven were available, he'd say, he says, with me, the kingdom of heaven is upon you. They didn't know that. So what was in the way? Their familiarity with him is what was in the way. Now I'm going to give you the key to everything we're going to talk about this morning and then I'm going to make it, hopefully, I believe the Holy Spirit's going to make it so painful he's going to press you into new territory you've never been in before. But um, here's the key. Do you know that familiarity is one of the biggest barriers to the activity of the Spirit in the body of Christ? You see it, I could have grabbed all kinds of places, but one of my goals this morning is I am purposely going to try to get done very early so we have tons of time. I want to have a powerful time of ministry. I know we're supposed to do that. We're supposed to loose some things, um, loose the spirit in new ways, loose gifts, and we're supposed to bind beliefs that are crippling the ministry of the body of Christ. That's going to happen today. So um, whatever I have to do, we're going to get done early. 
um, enough to have that time of ministry. Um, but familiarity, I'm just going to say this again, familiarity is one of the largest barriers in the activity of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ. How many of you know that's true already? How many of you that's a brand new thought? Oh, that's good. Oh, we got, okay, a couple, couple honest ones and the rest of you will pray for you. <laughs> you see, and just in case, I, I want to I illustrate this a couple of ways. Um, why do we see where like a church brings in an outside speaker and all of a sudden miracles, miracles in the activity of heaven breaks out like normally doesn't break out there? Is that speaker like some, does God have superstars? You got to call somebody from across the country who's got something we don't got? I don't believe that. I believe it's a faith thing. I believe it's, it's a, it breaks through, you see, familiarity. You don't have familiarity with that person, so we bring a faith and an expectation. Have you ever been on your way to a big conference? You've been excited about this. Um, you've, you know, an author or something. You've read their book and you're going to the conference and you have a great sense of excitement. This is going to be a great weekend. I just believe God's going to do things. I, I wonder what God's going to do on this retreat weekend or at this conference. Anyone, you ever felt that? Why is that? Do you have to travel to some conference because God's more powerful there than he is here or something? What is that? I believe, I believe it's, the, it's breaking out of, of the, the barrier of the familiar that creates a faith and an expectation in us. Okay? And I'm going to show you this this morning. How about this one? I'm just going to do one more. Um, how many of you, if your spouse, and if you're not married, um, choose like um, maybe one of your brothers or sisters, a sibling, or a best friend, someone you're very familiar with, if they came up to you and they said, it's probably most powerful with spouse for some reason, but if they come up and said, I was praying for you and the Lord just gave me a really powerful word, thus says the Lord, he wants you to know this. <laughs> how do you react? Now, I've got to tell you, I've gotten to a point with my wife where I shut up, sit down, and listen because <laughs> I've seen God fulfill those words. But i got to tell you, familiarity is usually a great barrier to faith that the Spirit wants to move powerfully through the body like we read about in the Word. Now, before we dig back into Corinthians, where we're at here, I'm just, I'm just going to do this. Who is the person that you're most familiar with? Ah, you got it right away. <laughs> I love it. I figured only a couple of people would get that answer and everybody else would be thinking of someone else. You're most familiar with yourself, right? Okay, I'm going to show you something. Um, go to Romans chapter 6. I guess, it's, I guess it's true. It's going to be a little while before we get to Corinthians. Um, starting in verse 5. You'll all be familiar with this. It's a famous passage. And Paul's, Paul's writing about how we die with Christ and we're, we're a new creation. We're we're brought into new life, newness. We're not, it's, not like, it's not like we're saved so that, we can, so that who we are can become a little bit better. No, our old man dies and our new man is born. Now listen in verse 5. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Now listen, likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How are you supposed to reckon yourself? Dead. Dead to sin. Okay, now, now track with me. This is going somewhere. I want to read Ephesians 4 and verse 20. 
And I'm going to give you something powerful. Here in verse 20 it says, um, But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him. How many of you have been taught by him? As the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the... um, Let me try that again. The old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. Now let me tell you what we do, and then I'm going to show you. Do you know that we are very, very familiar (laughs) with our old man? You know that? How many of you feel like you are more familiar with the new man than you are with the old man that died in Christ? It's a real thing, isn't it? You see, how often do you hear the voice of the enemy? What did it say in Jesus' case? What did they do to him? They said, he, he comes back and they say, is this not the carpenter's son? Is this, this is, this is, they're remembering him pre his baptism, pre the Spirit coming upon him. Now, he lived sinless, so I mean, there really shouldn't have been that big of a barrier, but look, look at how the reality of things are. It's still a big barrier. The problem is they just knew him all his life, right? And the problem is you've just known yourself all your life. Are you following me? <laughs> You see, God comes and speaks mighty things over you. He says, you are now the temple of the Spirit. You are now my plan to supply what I want to supply to the rest of my body. You see, divinity in you. I didn't say you are God. I didn't say you are divine. This is not some weird New Age message. Um, you are not God, but he does say that the same, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. Amen? So, so listen to me. Divinity in you. Are you more in touch with the new man that is filled with divinity so that the acts of heaven are available to those sitting right in next to you? Or are you more familiar with the old man, the dead person who was a mess, who was impotent and powerless? Are you following Okay, I want, to, I want to connect this to last week so you know we didn't subject change. <clears throat> Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and uh, verse 26 is where we'll start. And remember, and since we have visitors and um, last week, th- this is a passage talking about the Lord's table. Okay, but we pointed out last week how the the fact that it's in a a much larger context. It's not just about the Lord's table. He's actually he's actually trying to give deep spiritual truth that sets this Corinthian church free so that they are powerful vessels of the gifts of the spirit of the activity that God wants to have among them. Okay. And this is a church where he commends them at the beginning of the book, and he says, I commend you because you, you have all the gifts. Okay? You might say that the American church, um, of course, there's exceptions, and we're all different. He has different personalities in different churches. But you might say we have the opposite problem of the problem the Corinthians had. <laughs> we often lack belief that he, that he means for us to... To know our gifts, have gifts, be operating, be operating in the power of the Spirit so that, what's it say in this passage, I'm going to read it in a minute, but so that there are no weak, sick, or sleeping among us, right? Here, they have, they have all the gifts in operation and they're, they're, they're running crazy with them. They're not using them in a, in a loving way. They're not loving each other well. And so therefore, even though they have the manifestation of all the gifts, they're, the whole, most of the letter is rebuking them for the failure of fruit out of them. Does that make sense? Okay, here in verse 26, it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you, re- you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. What do we proclaim? 
his death? Do we proclaim our sin? Is that the purpose of the table? No, it's the, it's the, it, we proclaim the price that's paid to bring us into the oneness so that, the, so that kingdom can be released here, so that his kingdom is here. We pray, Lord, um, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, how does that happen? Like this. Because you're temples of the Holy Spirit, because you're a new man. Okay, and it goes on and says, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now, that's harsh language, right? We're going to dig more at this this morning. We talked about this last week. Verse 28 says, but let a man examine himself. Do you remember what the examination is? What are we examining for? Who's got it? (laughs) We'll read it. I knew we needed to do this again. It says, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now here's the examination. Listen, it's not the sin inventory that most of us have been taught for the first 30, 40, or 50 years of our life. It says, let him examine himself. So let him eat the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, remember what's the unworthy manner? Eats and drinks judgment to himself. Here it is. Here's the examination in the unworthy manner. Not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. Now, I just have to touch this again, even though we did it last week. Why would it say right there just next that for this reason? For what reason? That they come in an unworthy manner. What's the unworthy manner? They don't discern the Lord's body. They don't discern divinity in us. They don't discern who we are, who he is, and so therefore who we are. That's not being discerned. It's not that God is a punitive God. It's not that he punishes that like, well, you're coming in an unworthy manner, so I'm, gonna, I'm striking you with weakness and sickness. Our God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, not a punisher. Okay, so we're just looking at the natural consequence of not discerning the body of Christ. Amen? Okay. And of course, just in case you're doubting, I'm just going to read verse 1 of chapter 12 just goes in immediately says so now that i've laid this groundwork he says now concerning spiritual gifts brethren i do not want you to be ignorant and he goes on into a whole discussion of that okay now i want to show you something what did it say it said that we would be guilty of the body and blood and that we would drink judgment on ourselves. now how harsh is that language how does it make you feel when i when i read those words I want to show you something. Um, go to Matthew. Actually, you know what? Um, that's okay. I don't even think I did not give you these, and that was on purpose. I'm just going to pick. Um, if you're a note taker, I'm going to be in Matthew 23, and for time's sake, I'm going to grab some quick things, okay? This is Jesus bringing judgment and guilt in, in, in a conversation with real people. Now, why would I go there? Do you, you understand, um, I think what's so crazy when we read those words that we would drink judgment or so, on ourselves or be guilty of the body and blood of Christ, the reason we're kind of like, I don't know what to do with that. Because you read of Jesus, he was always with sinners. He was the one who ate with tax collectors and prosecute, um, um, prostitutes. prostitutes, thank you. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, he, he ate and walked and healed sinners. He was with them. He was ridiculed for it. So what is this judgment and guilt? Well, I'm going to show you. To think of it, when did Jesus bring a fury of judgment and guilt? In the temple? Religious leaders? Okay, that's what I was going to look at here in Matthew 23. Um, if you're curious, we're not going to put this up here. I didn't give it. To our text back here, but 23:25 says, "Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup, that the outside of them may be clean also. 
He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, on to 27 hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, I'm going to show you something. Um, This is leading somewhere. I know you're familiar with this, but just notice, first of all, when Jesus is harsh and brings judgment, it's, it's in cases where a display of righteousness is being displayed, but the, but the corresponding fruit, the reality, the deeper part of the reality is not with it. It's a false display. You understand that here there's a contrast between the inside and outside, right? It's going to lead us somewhere. I want you to hold that. You know places where Jesus, Jesus often said, I think it's in Matthew 5, but I might be making that up. So don't, I'll deny it if you try to hold me to it. But um, I think it's Matthew 5. He says, he says, you have heard it said. Do you know what I'm talking about? You have heard it said, um, do not murder. And then what does he do? He says, but I say if you're, if you're even angry. Or you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say if you even just lust. What's he doing? It, well, he's... <laughs> I love that. Um, he's getting to the root. Right. He's saying, you have heard it said that the action's not good. But what I say is you got a real problem if you got a heart problem and you never take the action. You follow? You know, the Bible never says you will never find it in the Bible. Well, just do the best you can. (laughs) Do you know you never see that? It will never say just do the best you can. See, God's not that foolish. He knows that the best you can (laughs) is just simply not even close to good enough. (laughs) I've tried the best I could before, and it was really ugly. Okay, why am I doing this? This is leading somewhere, trust me. If you're kind of like, what does that have to do with the other? I'm about to show you. Um, This we do have, and if you want to turn to Matthew, actually, same chapter, isn't it? Matthew 23, just go back to verse 1. I'm going to show you this now. Now there's a heaping here. 23.1, it says, Then Jesus spoke to the multitude and all his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they, they say and do not do. Now listen, for they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will, will not move them with one of their fingers. Yeah, that. In other words, they're laying a burden. So here's what I want you to see and then we're, go- we're going to move to why we're doing this. Jesus is always harsh when there's an outward display that doesn't reflect the inner reality. When there's an outward display that doesn't carry the fruit of the authority of the courts of heaven with it. Okay, now it gets good. Now we're done with the introduction. Go to Matthew 21 and verse 18. One of the strangest things Jesus does. The narrative of Jesus, and here it says, Now in the morning, as he returned to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves, and said to it, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered away. Isn't that funny? Do you know Jesus to be a person um, who walks around and curses everything that doesn't give him his way instantly or whatever? Isn't that, isn't that an odd passage? I'm going to read on and then I'm going to tell you why we're reading this. In verse 20 it says, And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither away so soon? Now I think it's interesting that they just personally that they asked that question. I would have been asking, why did you why? Why did you do that? 
would have been my question, but they didn't. They, they were marveling about the practicality of the miraculous, right? They were going, how did you do that, right? That's what they're doing. Now listen to his answer. I want you to notice before I even read it that he doesn't answer them the how. In fact, I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag. I'm going to tell you, he uses it as an object lesson for their faith, and, and he uses it as an object lesson for a very particular faith. Do you know what that faith is? It's the faith that he has plans to do his will through you. That faith. Here's his answer. It says, So Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. <laughs> You're so prophetic. <laughs> it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. You see, he uses this whole thing as an object lesson. Now, let me tell you about that tree. Some of you have probably heard this before. Do you know that fig trees, they sprout the leaves at the same time they sprout the fruit? You, who's heard this before? Okay, I figured some of you had. So in other words, when he went up to the fig tree to get some fruit, the tree was displaying that I am supposed to be the place of fruit. And the fact that fruit wasn't there was, was unholy. That's wrong. It was a false display. And he curses the tree. And then he has a conversation with his disciples about the production of real fruit, fruit that will last. In John 15, it says, if you abide in me, you will produce fruit, fruit that will last. How do you produce fruit? Abide. It doesn't say if you work hard enough, you will produce fruit. <laughs> it says abide in me, and there's a promise with it. You'll produce fruit. Do you know how unhelpful it is to say to someone else, or probably even worse, let's do this, to say to yourself, just have faith. <laughs> you know the spiritual abuse of saying, well, the reason you're not producing fruits, the reason gifts are not manifesting, the reason they're sick and weak and sleeping among you is because you just don't have enough faith. You know, it's not that, but I, but I will tell you what's powerfully on my heart this morning, familiarity. You see, just saying you don't have enough faith, have more faith, <laughs> it's useless, right? But I do believe that the Lord wants, wants us to understand the barriers to faith. Now, I'm going to tell you something, familiarity with yourself is one of the largest barriers. I'm still going to show you this. Familiarity, being more familiar with the old dead man than what Jesus speaks about you. Being familiar with yourself as someone who, who has the spirit in you in such a way that you release the will of heaven for the person sitting in next to you. You see, discerning the body. Why, was, why is the language so harsh in that passage in Corinthians? How often do you see Jesus going around calling out judgment and telling you you're guilty of my body and blood. When do you, when do you see that? This is when you see it. When, when we're the church, we're supposed to be the place of the fruit. And in fact, we're displaying that we are. We have a service and we go out into the world and we, and, and we, we talk about him. with a lack of fruit sometimes, right? He's harsh about that. He's harsh about that. And familiarity, even familiarity with self. Do you know how your, your old life, your old man, how many of you would say, even to this very day, the enemy tries to use it to scream it over what's actually true about you now? <laughs> yeah, talk about, it's one of the greatest tools in the hand of the enemy to shut down the truth of who you are and, and how God wants to be in you for the profit of all. We read that um, 
last week in this passage. How, how many of us have the manifestation of the Spirit? We did this last week. Every single one of us. And what's it for? For the profit of all. You, you have to know that more than anything else, the enemy wants to shut that down. <laughs> he does not want you to be powerful for the profit of all. And he will use familiarity. Do, how often do you hear the enemy say, what did they do to Jesus? They said, they said, isn't this the son of Mary and the son of Joseph? Isn't this the one who grew up next door? You know what the enemy does with you? I know he does it with you because he does it with me. <laughs> Try your best. Go ahead. He says, he says to me, aren't you the one who... Like, are you kidding me? The vessel of the Holy Spirit, the one who has a prophecy or a word of knowledge or, or a healing or a prayer of power that releases the power of heaven, you, aren't you the one who your past looks like this, this, that, and the other? You could never get it right. You remember him? Aren't you the one? It's the same thing the enemy does. Familiarity <laughs> with yourself, with the old man. I believe God wants us to begin to uh, foster in this body of Christ right here, this local body, we're going to begin to foster familiarity with the new man. Familiarity with the power that resurrected Jesus from the dead being in you. How familiar with that are you? <laughs> it's time. <laughs> It's time. It's time to say familiarity is no longer going to be a, bound, a, a, a barrier to what God wants to do in this place. Shut up, enemy. I don't care about my past. That man is dead. Okay? I, I'm very familiar with that dead man, but he's dead now, and there's a new man that I'm learning a familiarity with. A man that's filled with the Spirit of God for the profit of all. Do you know it's even harder with the person, the familiarity with the person sitting in next to you, too? <laughs> I'm always amazed how many, time, how many times God brings um, what I need through the person that is a, a serious pain in my rear end. <laughs> I mean, the person that I, I really want, yes, I'm just, I'm just like you, right? There, there, there are all kinds of people in my life where I'm, oh, brother, here we go. You know, you know this syndrome. <laughs> and invariably, God, that will be the person that God brings my breakthrough through. And I, my faith can be shut down by familiarity with how unlovely that person can be. Someone who's, all right, here we go. I think of, you, you read in Acts 3, what, what are they, what's going on in Acts 3? I mean, we're not, I'm not even going to go there and read it. I'm just going to tell you, the disciples are doing marvelous things. And what do the disciples say? They say, why are you looking at me? Don't you know that it's the power of God, it's the power of God through, through us? Why are you looking at us? It's not us doing it, it's God. It's just that we know that we're, we're the new man. <laughs> were very secure. They were very familiar with themselves as the new man. In John 3.34, it says, For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. Now listen, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. You know, the, Spirit is a, the Holy Spirit is a person. You can't measure a person. I'll just whack off a tenth of you and it doesn't work that way. He doesn't give the spirit without measure. So why does it feel so measured so often? And believe me, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not a, they, they didn't provide me a pedestal up here. I'm right there with you. Why does the, the power, the activity, the, the will of God feel so measured through me? I'm going to tell you a trick. You hear people, it's not all that tricky, it's published, but... Um, <laughs> How often do you hear, we, we just need more of the Spirit? We need more of Him. You, you know you hear that? And I'm not, if you say that, I'm not, it's fine, go ahead. You know what you mean, I get it, it's fine. I just want to tell you, 
what you need is not more of him. You already have all of him. Can we just amen right there? You already have all of him. What you need is more of your true self yielded. More of your true self in the faith that you're familiar with yourself as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Are you more shocked? Are you, are you more surprised or shocked when God acts in a mighty way for the profit of all through you? Or are you more shocked when he doesn't? Which way is that for you? I can tell you when I answer that question, a lot of the time it's pretty convicting. I'm, I'm right there. I can be very familiar with the old man. I can be very familiar with, a, with far too much lack of faith in what God speaks about me as the temple of the Holy Spirit, as, a, as an individual member of a body that is to be a powerful vessel of the Spirit for the profit of all. I can be far too faithless in that. Why? Because I'm so familiar with the impotent me, with the dead me before the Spirit filled me. He gives the Spirit without measure. Okay, we're going to close with this so we have time for ministry. Um, it's a long script. I'm going to try to avoid commentary. Um, go, feel free to throw something at me if I start putting in a bunch of commentary. <laughs> I'm just going to read in um, the same book, okay, same letter to the same church back closer at the beginning, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. While we're turning there, do you know God does not give you the spirit for your maturity? I know somebody out there is going, heresy. <laughs> and that's okay. Um, the Spirit does bring us to maturity. And you read about that all throughout the Word, but do you know why He gives you the Spirit? For the profit of all. Because He loves you. <laughs> because He's crazy about you. So many times I'll be sitting praying and I'll sense the Spirit will come upon me, right? And I'll be thinking, what is this for? I instantly jump to ministry. Where do I need to take, what's going on here? Where do I need to take this? And I sense the Lord going, no, I'm just here to be with you. <laughs> Why is it when my presence comes upon you powerfully that you think you need to run out and do something? <laughs> I just love you. Okay, here, um, here I'm going to start in verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2, and it says, um, actually, let me scan this. I want to make sure we have time. It's so important we have this ministry. Yeah, let's just do this. Okay, verse 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, Paul speaking to the church, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. What does that make you think of? When you are weak, he's strong, right? Why? Do you know, do you know why that is, when you're weak, he's strong? You see, when you're weak, you're, you're, completely, you're completely depending on what he says about you in the new man. You're completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. Do you know when you think you're strong, you're acting out of familiarity with the old man that thinks he can do something. Does that make sense? Okay, verse four. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You know what Paul's doing? He's describing that heart that Moses said. When, when Moses said, um, how, how will they know that we are your people and you're our God if it's not because of your presence among us? It's the cry of that heart. Now actually, I want you to skip to verse 10 so we have time to talk about something. Now, go back to verse 9. We really got to go back to verse 9. 
I'm pretty sure this time. Verse 9, let's stick with it. Verse 9 is a quote of previous scripture and it says, But it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Why does he fill you with the Spirit? Because he loves you. <laughs> okay, here's what. Verse 10 says, But God, now you really have to listen to these words. We're going to pick this apart. But God has revealed them to us. Revealed what to us? The wonderful things that he has planned that you can't even imagine. Those things, God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Now, what do you think the deep things of God are? You know that was a setup. That's why nobody answered because I'm, I'm going to read it next. The deep things of God. I'm going to tell you the answer in advance. The deep things of God is the true self. Do you know that offering God the fig leaves, that covering of the old man that covers over wounds and lies and, and all the battering that you've lived through and the ways you've determined to survive by your own effort or to accomplish things by your own strength, the, the fig leaves, the covering, offering that to God does not release the will and the power of heaven. It's the, and we're about to read that. The true self the new man, the healed self, the temple of the Holy Spirit, the healthy. <laughs> the, in other words, what the, the person that God made. Okay, all right, let's do this. So the deep things. Verse 11, for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man? That's the deep things. The deep things of God. What are the deep things of God? You. You are the deep things of God. <laughs> you go so deep, it would blow your mind if you could see how deep you go. In fact, I'm absolutely certain that you're going to spend eternity finding out how deep you go. It says, even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now listen, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. And for what reason? It says just next, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Freely given. So in the spirit, at the place of the true self, not the fake Pharisee covering that we all make, but the, at the place of the true self, the Spirit reveals what's freely given. Just say freely given. Freely given. Do you know when we read in 1 Corinthians about the table, that table, what's, what's at that table is freely given. Why is, he, why is his word so harsh? He does not want us to be, he does not want, what's, what's being guilty of the body and blood of Christ? He does not want us to be a church where we're bringing our own performance, where we have our own Pharisee covering, and we're absent the fruit. We have no ability to, to minister to the person in next to you because we're so familiar with ourself and we're so familiar with the person in next to us that we have little faith that the Spirit of God wants to show up in power and provide what is available in the throne room for the person in next to you that makes him mad <laughs> that makes him start start calling pharisees whitewashed tombs <laughs> in the public square Whew, it's quiet in here is this an intense message you guys doing okay are we doing okay <laughs> all right Good, good. Okay, now listen to me. Who in here is hungry to be more familiar in, in far deeper ways the new man <laughs> and be acting in power out of that man completely unhindered by that disgusting familiarity you have with the old man? 
How many of you have had a life where you've been um, a Christian fewer years than you were than before you knew him? Did I ask that? Did that make sense? Yeah. I think y'all have a harder way. <laughs> I really do. You've got a lot to be familiar with back there, don't you, Randy? <laughs> Me too. Me too. Yeah. That's you know. Church, it's, it's time for us to be familiar with ourselves as the new man. It's time for us to, every time the enemy tries to do it, every time the enemy tries to shut down our faith by, by dragging out the familiarity of the old man on us. In fact, I'm going to tell this story. <laughs> oh, you know I can't help myself. I had a, a powerful week. This week, and I really prayed about whether I should do this, and the fact that it came to mind makes me think I should. Um, I'm in a um, spiritual development group, and um, and we were doing uh, we were going to have a time of ministry, okay? And we were what we were going to do was bless each other. Um, we're, we're learning about anointings right now. We were going to bless each other with anointing, right? Um, it's about six or seven of us in the group, or something. Um, and the idea was we were going to listen for what the Lord had for the, another person, listen for the Holy Spirit to tell us what anointing, what blessing he wanted to put upon them, and then we, were, we would light the candle and speak it to them. Well, I'm already walking up. Um, you know, we're, we're leaving our comfy chairs and we're going over to the table where we're going to do this. And I mean, in split seconds, as I'm walking over, I'm explaining to God how he can't do this with me. Okay, now I'm telling you the truth. I'm walking over there and I'm already thinking in my head because I'm thinking he doesn't really do that kind of prophetic, prophetic word of knowledge or prophetic picture thing or where he gives me a word. You know, it's not really my mo. I'm not that part in the body of, I'm telling God, I'm not that part in the body of Christ. I'm not sure how this is going to go. And I'm planning in my head, am I going to fake this? Am I going to light a candle and put it in there even though I've made something up or I'm having this whole conversation. We get over there. The first person steps into the middle to receive their blessing from everyone else in the circle, and I instantaneously get a powerful vision for this person. I'm already writing it off. And so other people are going, and I'm stepping forward, and, and I, I add a disclaimer <laughs> to the person before I share the word. And the moment that I... I, I gave the disclaimer. I said, you know, the Lord doesn't really do this with me. So weigh it, you know, and I'm, I'm already causing the person not to have faith in what God just gave me with a disclaimer. And I heard the Lord speak to me and say, don't you ever tell me again what I'm not going to do with you. And I stood there like, oh. <laughs> and then he proceeded to give me a vision for every other person in the circle. It was like he was going... <laughs> in the most loving way. <laughs> With powerful evidence, every single person was going, you can't imagine what that means to me. Let me tell you what's going on in my life. And I'm going, okay, Lord, I promise I'll never do that again. You see, I was far too familiar with a me that does not have that manifestation of the Spirit than I was with a new me that God was saying, I'm releasing an anointing. That's what the whole purpose of the thing was, to release anointings. <laughs> I'm, a little, I'm a slow learner sometimes. We're going to begin to create. I, I recommend in your home fellowships. I recommend when you're together at dance class, when you're together, wherever you're together. I recommend create safe spaces where you allow each other to step out in faith. Take a risk. Sometimes I think we have more fear of our ability to screw it up than we have faith in the Holy Spirit to provide for the profit of all. Can we stop that now? In the name of Jesus, can we stop that now? Jesus, I ask in the name of Jesus that you bind that spirit that makes us want to fear 
makes us want to fear the old man and the familiarity with how we can mess it up. I bind that in the name of Jesus right now. And Lord, we ask that you would release your spirit in new ways, that you would be, you would be opening gifts that people are not even aware they have yet, that I ask that you would be making safe spaces in this service, in home fellowships, in every ministry that operates in this church, Father. I pray that you would help us make them safe spaces where people can take a risk and let your spirit move. And like, it, like in uh, the 13th chapter of Corinthians, Lord, I pray that as we step out and risk and as we trust you, that your spirit is about to break out and move, that they would be filled with love, love from one to another so we don't have to be rebuked like the Corinthian church, but we can risk in a safe, loving atmosphere and discover our true self. I ask that you'd be tearing off the fig leaves, the, the false coverings that we put on so that we have something true to offer you, our true inner self, Lord. Will you, will you release and heal and free our true inner self in the name of Jesus? We ask you to come. We ask you to release something true. We ask you to release the true person that you made so that we can offer it back as a living sacrifice and give your spirit a place to dwell. We cast our faith on you. We want to be familiar with you powerfully moving through us. We believe you when you told us that we are your body, that we are the place of your spirit and that you want to manifest for us for the profit of all in the name of Jesus. Amen.